washing and purifying to us. May your word be a mirror to us. May your word be sustenance to us. May your word speak to us. We are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Broadway. Thank you so much. Beautiful time of worship. I wish I did not have to preach with this God is good at all times, and He's faithful. He uses all the different gifts to edify His body so that the man of God, you and me, might be complete and might be equipped for the work of the ministry. Amen. So I'll ask that somebody who's going to come and read for us, and I'll ask us to stand. On the reading of the word, Owen is going to read for us. I think it, it's on, the scripture should be on your uh, PowerPoint too, so people should be able to see it up here. Um, the Bible. If anyone among you suffering, he must pray. Oh, sorry, I'll preface it. This is James, 15, 13, James 5, 13 through 20. If anyone among you suffering, he must pray. Is anyone joyful? He must sing praises to God. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will restore the one that is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another, that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is, it is dynamic and, had, and can have tremendous power. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And he prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and falls into error, and another one turns him back to God, let the latter one know that the one, that the one has turned a sinner from error of his ways will, will save the one's soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That is, obtain the pardon for many sins committed by the one who has been restored. Today I'm going to speak about the power of confession in the life of the church. And I want to start by most public prefacing this by going through what is confession. In our Judeo-Christian meaning, what is it that is confession? Um, where do we see confession? What does confession mean to us? What does confession mean to the early church? But also what does confession mean to the Jewish people and what it still means today? 
confession started in, we know, when, um, uh, when the Moses came down from the mountain. And he came down and he found the children of Israel had created a cow. That's where it started. That's where atonement, the day of atonement, started. And this day of atonement associated to that a lot. And so the Ikar, he comes down and um, he finds them worshiping this cow. He's distraught. Um, we know the story, I'm not going to go into it. But the point is that, and the Jewish people then call it Yom Kippur, which actually means a day of atonement. The day of atonement. The word Kippur means to cover. It means covering. And at this point, Israelites are talking about that their sins were covered. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the temple. Because this is one of the, this is, it still is for Jewish people, but this was one of the holiest holidays that the Jewish people had. It's one of the holiest ones. Why do the temple do three holy things that happened? The first thing is that the high priest which is the holiest office, would go into the center, into the Holy of Holies, which is the holiest place, and he would as well go do that once a year during this holiest day. So it means there was a lot about holiness that surrounds that. And I want us to know that it is a day as well, it was a seven-day period, this particular day was a day of self-examination, was a day of realizing and checking um, everybody stopped and checked what was their life. It's like a day of taking stock. And so when we, we think about that, I want that to be at the back of our, of our minds. I did not go into detail. Some people here might know a little bit more than me on that and much more than me on that because they've studied a lot of um, the Jewish traditions. And they still practice that today, although there is no temple to go to, but they still celebrate those days. And it marks the end of their year and believing that, okay, we have ended the year now, we're hoping that we're going to get blessings for the next year. There's a lot of things that go into Yom Kippur as, a, as, a, as the biggest holiday for the Jewish people. It's the Sabbath of Sabbath. But one thing that I wanted to concentrate on that happens on that Sabbath of Sabbath is what they call Bidui. The Bidui was the type, the word Bidui is the Hebrew word that speaks of confession, was a type of confession. They confessed their sins from the past year, they confessed um, where they had gone wrong, and some Jewish people still do that today, they would hit their chest, thump their chest as a way of confession, of showing um, that I am, I am wretched, Lord have mercy on me. And so they would do that. And that word Badui comes from the word Yada. And that word Yada speaks to throw, to shoot, or to cast out. It means to cast down. But also it means to give thanks. It means to praise. But also it means to confess. I know in English we've got very specific, we've got these words. Um, that we use to explain things, and sometimes English is very limited, but also sometimes Hebrew is very limited because it's got a very small vocabulary. 
that day, this word meant a lot of things. So by the way that it was said, you take it from the context of what it meant at that time. So it meant to confess, to confess sin, but also it meant to confess the Lordship and the oneness of God, the name of God, and it meant to give thanks and all those things. Then we come into the New Testament, there are two words that I use in the New Testament over and over again in Greek that speak of what does confession mean, the words that I use for confession. The first one is eschomologeo, and it speaks of confessing, it speaks of professing, it speaks of openly and joyfully acknowledging, it speaks of um, the honor to celebrate in praise too, it speaks to profess that, some, that you do something or to promise that something is going, you're going to engage in something. It speaks of agreement. And then the second word is homologeo. They, they look very close and they're similar, but they, they are used interchangeable for confession in different contexts. And in this context, this word is used to concede. It's used to say the same thing as another. It's used, it's used to agree with and to assent with something. Um, it's used to mean not to refuse, to promise, not to deny, to confess, to declare, and again to admit and declare oneself guilt of what they are accused of. Declare openly, speak out freely. Emphasize that, speak out freely. And to profess one, Ourself as a worshiper to praise and to celebrate. So these are the meanings that come from this word in the They are around, they surround confession, they surround freely admitting, they surround agreeing with, they surround giving praise and thanks. And these words are words that I use in scripture, except for the word but doing is not in scripture, but they are used in scripture to show confession, to refer back to confession. Alright, so, in James, we hear that it says, confess your purposes one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And in the King James, it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And then it goes on here, it says, the effective fervent prayer of righteous men are violent much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it did not rain, it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. To think about confession is really hard for us as believers. Because we think of confession, we think of confession in our fellowship. And what makes it hard is that our fellowship, we expect our fellowship, we believe our fellowship to be a fellowship of saints. To be a fellowship of those people that have conquered all those things. So the enemy lies to us and says, if you confess this, you will be on your own. Because the rest of them have made it through. The rest of them have dealt with that sympathy standing up there has dealt with it. He is fine. You are the only one. You are not. The congregation, the fellowship that we have of believers is a fellowship of sinners saved by grace. It's not a congregation of people who are holy than thou. 
We are here as sinners, and we can, not on our own right, but because of Christ. That's the message of the cross. That we sin, and Jesus took our sin on himself, and died, and then thereafter, imputed his righteousness on us, although we did not deserve it or earn it. That's the message of the cross. So when we think about confession, I want us to start with that mindset that we are sinners saved by grace. This congregation that is sitting here, the Church of Jesus Christ in the whole world, that's what we are. Sinners saved by grace. We do not deserve it. We do not need it. When we look at the scripture, we see that confession and prayer, these two bring healing. They bring healing both physically and emotionally and spiritually. It says confession can free us from the heavy burdens, physically and spiritually, of unresolved sin and remove hindrance of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When we confess, we are at a place where we are healed. And I know most people think, oh, we are healed. Is it just, it's not just physical healing. It's emotional healing. And most of all, it's spiritual healing. Because when we walk in sin, we walk in darkness. And when we confess, we let the light come in. And there is healing in our spirit. So there is healing in the physical. And I know of stories and I've seen, I, I've witnessed people who had situations in their lives, with deformities in their lives, and they made a confession and that was healed. I'm not talking about the story that we had. I'm talking about something I witnessed as a young man, as a kid. So not even as a young man, as a boy. Confession brings healing. When we are walking in anger and bitterness inside of us, and we get to a point where we confess that freely, remember, confession is not coherent, it is free, it is done voluntarily. Because we realize who we are and who he is. When we realize that, we have no choice but to confess when we need to confess. So there, so when that confession is made, when you're, when you're confessing your anger, when I'm angry and have, a, um, have bitterness against Sage, he's sitting up here so I can use this example and you won't mind. If I'm angry at Sage and I'm like, I'm not talking to you, and, and I, yeah, and I go behind Sage um, and tell, um, and, and tell Sama that, oh, Sage did this, Sage did this, Sage said this, this, and I, I carry that resentment, I carry that anger, and I go somewhere else to Josh, and I tell Josh some stories about Sage, and I go, and, and continuing this thing, there is hurt that happens inside of me. I might hurt Sage's um, reputation within the church, but guess what? I am hurting myself more. It, it becomes like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die from it. And so when we come to a point where we confess that, when we open that up to God, there is healing that happens in that part where we have taken the poison. God starts to work in that. When I come up and I say, Sage, I am sorry, I'm really, I was angry at you because of this and this, and I confess that I've walked in sin by harboring this kind of moment. And me coming and confessing that would open me up. The reason why we are afraid to confess is because we are based 
our, our reason not to confess is based on pride and hypocrisy. The pride of sin. Hiding our sin is pride. Because we are thinking, what will they say if they know that I, I was angry at church? I was leading worship here. I was teaching here. I was serving communion. I was helping with all those things. What will they say? It's just pride. And God calls us to come to a place of confession so we can put away pride. We can put away fear. We can put away hypocrisy. Then you go with this, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. We confess to one another. I know this scripture has been used sometimes to, um, to enhance the Catholic idea of that you go to the priest and you confess and, and yeah, praise God for them. Good for them. But the Bible here says confess one to another. Which then means the, the priest confess to. It's a confession, confession to one another. We are called as the church to hear each other's confessions. When we confess, it breaks the power of the secret sin. Sin festers in the darkness. Sin, just like cockroaches, like rodents, it festers and grows in the dark. What happens in a home when there's cockroaches all over and you turn on the light? They run. Jesus is the light that comes into our life. And when sin has festered in the secrecy of darkness, when the light comes and exposes, it flees the light. And the good news there is that it does not just flee the light, it's not covered, it is taken away. Israel, remember, we said Israel said uh, that on the day of atonement their sin was covered over. Praise God, our sin is not covered over. It is taken away. He says, as I move your sin as far as is the east from the west. He is the Lamb of God, not that covers sin, but that taketh away the sin of the world. So when we break that power of sin, we are in a good place. But confession, as good as it is, it must be made with discretion. An unwise confession can be a cause of more sin. What am I saying about that? Sometimes when we confess that we are not wise, we find ourselves in trouble. And I'll tell you why. Depending on who you confess to, I'm going to give you a little bit of things that would help us, guide us, as we think about confession and receiving somebody else's confession and public confession. Public confession can cause feeling that somebody starts to gossip. Public confession can as well bring, it brings healing, but if it's abused, it can cause things. And we need to be careful not to abuse this. When somebody comes to confess to you or to me, it's not an opportunity for me to go and tell so-and-so what so-and-so said. I stand in the stead of Christ. 
And I asked, and I prayed to my brother, the high priest, as a priest, I'm part of the priesthood, the royal priesthood. I prayed for him, and he's healed, he's forgiven. I am not supposed to take it in and be a herald of news to somebody else. Did you hear what Connie said in her confession to me? It's causing more sin. Can cause more sin. Let's look at a few things that would help us um, when it comes to that. Public confession of sin has potential for great good or for bad. So there should be guidance that is given. Confession is it's important, guidance number one, is that it is important that you confess to the person that you have sinned against. If you have sinned against a brother or a sister, confess to them. Before you run to the Lord, or before you run to so and so, or before you run to somebody else, confess to that brother and sister. Tell Sedge, I'm struggling, brother. I've sinned against you. Pray for me. I need victory. Pray for me. I need healing. What does Matthew 18 say to us if a brother has hurt you? You go to the brother. Not to the other brother. You go to that brother first. And it's, I think it's the same thing in verse 1. When you are hurt, and you've hurt somebody by sitting against them, and you want to make things right, go to that person. Make things right. It's useless for us to make confession to God because most of us make confession to God easily because we think He doesn't see. God sees. We should be even more terrified to confess to God than to confess to man. Because he's a holy God. And he's watching and he sees. And he has seen you in that sin. It's not like you're confessing and letting him know of something new. He already knows. And if he were to decide to bring vengeance, it would be worse than me being gossiped about. But we, we take it so lightly that it's easier for us to confess to the Lord in private so nobody, it doesn't change my reputation. I still go back to say, I've confessed to the Lord and I go back to say, no, brother, I love you. I've loved you forever. And I'm lying because I was walking in sin. And it is healing for me and for him to go to him and say, my brother, I have sinned against you. Will you forgive me? There is healing that happens next. So confession should be made. We need to make confession, not only just in, uh, in private, but also to that person that we have If I have had the church, I need to make a public confession to the church. As a leader in the church, if I have had the church, I need to be able to stand here and say, Church, I am sorry. I confess my sin. So there is that part. Whatever area that you have had, you need to go and make right with that area. The second thing is that public confession must be discreet. Sometimes I say that giving too many details that you need to might be, might be causing others to sin. But if it's appropriate, you need to. If you're speaking to your brother who sinned against, you need to give every detail of why and what happened. Sorry that I sinned against you. I lied. I, I, I hated you. 
I went and told other several people about you and said these things. I am sorry. But when, I'm, when you're standing in public, because you don't know who else is in public who's hearing you, you, you might not divulge as much information, but you need to divulge a few things, and you're asking for forgiveness. And another area that we need to think about is that confession is made to people, in front of people, whether it's a brother or it's a congregation, but it is made before God. So it's very, very vital to realize God's presence at the time of confession. The confession is made to men, but before the Lord. It's, yes, it says, confess your trespasses one to another, but that one to another is before God. The confession is addressed to people, not to God. That's what we usually do. It's not that on God only hears your confession. When you confess your sins to others and ask them to pray for you, you get right also before God at the same time. So if you confess to your brothers and sisters, you're confessing in front of God. Confession should be appropriate and specific. As I've said earlier, Given a few uh, examples, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? Depending on where you are, confession needs to be done specifically. And then confession must have honesty and integrity. If we confess and we have no intention to walk away from that sin, we are making a mockery of this. not just a mockery of this, a mockery of God himself. When we confess our sin, we confess our sin because we want to walk away from it. We don't confess our sin to start a new platform we can sin more. Our intention is to just take this away so we can start again. Our intention when we confess is that, Lord, forgive me. Now help me to walk the way you called me to. Real deep conf- um, and genuine confession of sin is and has been a feature of revival for many, many, many years. Think about the book of Acts when we hear the people from Ephesus in the book of Acts. It says when they heard the gospel, they confessed their sins. Not only that, it says in um, Acts chapter 17, uh, sorry, chapter 19, I think it's verse 17 to 20, part of it says that many who believed came in confessing and telling their deeds. They came confessing and telling me at this end there was life again in Ephesus. Spiritual life. We want a, ri- a revival. Let's be true in the area of confession. The effective heaven prayer for righteousness are violent much. Our prayer is effective. And abide as much as much as our confession is effective. And abide as much. When we confess, God is faithful to forgive. Confession is part of who we are, what we need to do. And we see the story of Elijah going on that he was a man like us, 
you're usually told and we are taught don't take um, don't learn prayer from people, learn prayer from God. But this is one of the examples where God is telling us, pray like a righteous. Fervent in prayer. But his, in his fervency in prayer, it's because they were the clean heart. Creating me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That's my cry today. And I hope that will be your cry today as you think about confession. And then I'm going to speak a little bit about the believer's role. In confession, in confession, in forgiveness of sins that have been confessed. John 20, verse 19 through 23. I'll read that. John 20, 19 through 23. It says, So when it was evening on that same day, the first day of the week, though the disciples were meeting behind bad doors in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace to you. After he said this, he showed them his hands, his side. When his disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with great joy. Then Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you as my representatives. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven because of your faith. If you return the sins of anyone, they are retained and remain unforgiven because of the unbelief. In this, in this portion of scripture, what I want to concentrate, I know there's so many theories around the scriptures, but I want to concentrate on the words of Jesus, where he connects the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the application of the work of Christ. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, and as soon as after that, he says, when you forgive somebody, they are forgiven. There's a connection there. The Holy Spirit is given to us not just as an ornament, but it's given to empower us to effectively apply the work of Christ in our lives. Remember when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we say the Holy Spirit brings application to the work that is done on the cross. And part of that is us as believers as we receive our brothers and sisters' confession to declare to them and pray with them and say you are. Jesus showed us this. How many times did Jesus say you are forgiven? And the Pharisees said to this way Christ. When he said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and then immediately he goes on to say, Whatever sins that are confessed that you forgive are forgiven. Jesus, in, in one way or the other, he lays down our duty as a church to proclaim forgiveness to a repentant believer, a repentant sinner. And it is our duty as well as the church to warn those who are, who are repentant of the danger that is ahead of them. When we have seen that we have not repented from, there is danger ahead. When there is sin in my life that I'm afraid and I'm ashamed to confess to my brother, to my, to the church, to God, there is danger that awaits. Because the more I keep that sin in darkness, the more it festers and festers and affects more and more areas of our lives. 
And, and I know all them preachers when I was a kid, I remember all them preachers used to say, your sin will find you out. This is what they meant. But when I hide it, it doesn't help me. It destroys me, actually. But when I open up and say, I have sinned, Lord, have mercy on me. Remember the story of the two of the Pharisee and the text collector when they went to pray in the temple. The other one prayed and said, Lord, I am righteous. I'm not like this man. And all the time, he is looking at himself and he is over-exacting himself and putting down his brother who was sinner. But his brother who realized that I'm a sinner knelt down and could not even look up to heaven and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Give me here. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Lord, because I am a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home in a better state than that man. When our sin is kept in darkness, we become like the Pharisees. Because we walk around with a mask hiding, pretending that everything is fine when things are not. It does not bring healing to us. It brings sickness. Emotionally, spiritually, and physically, eventually. We are not we are not called to create we don't create forgiveness. And I would like to say that we do not as well just deny, just plain it because we want to deny people forgiveness. What we do is announce it according to God's word. According to this. That's what we announce. We are here to be messengers of God's word. According to God's word. And then he gives us wisdom through his spirit on what we need to do when we receive confession as a church. So we have a role to play in confession. Those near confession um, of sin, they have, have a lot of responsibility. So don't think that by hearing confession, your responsibility is done. You have a lot. When somebody comes to you and confesses to you, they are giving you a responsibility. You have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to be responsive in prayer to that person. Responsive in loving that person. Responding, responding in godly wisdom, not human wisdom. Human wisdom leads gossiping or sharing with others what has been told to you. But when you receive a confession, you've got a responsibility to ask for godly wisdom and ask the Lord, Lord, shut my mouth. Even if searchers come and confess to me and tomorrow I'm angry at Sage, the fact that I received this confession makes I need to pray and say, Lord, help me not to say tomorrow when I'm angry at Sage. But that time you did this, I'll tell the whole world that you did this. That's not confession. That's not receiving confession. We have a responsibility to cover the nakedness of our brothers when they confess their sins. Our brothers and sisters, when they come to us in confession, our responsibility is to pray for them, to walk with them, and to cover them. When Adam said, here I am, Lord, and they came out and said, we are naked, what did God do first? 
harvested. Yes, there was, there was uh, an animal that was killed, which represents this world as atonement, but then he covered them. He gave them clothes to wear. He covered their nakedness. As the church, we are not called to go in and cover each other's nakedness to the world, but we are called to cover each other's nakedness. And that does not mean we cover over people's sins. Sins are confessed, and, and people are held accountable, and we walk with them. But as we walk with them, and as we walk, hold them accountable and walk with them, do not find yourself in a situation where you uncover, you are walking around uncovering people because you've had their confession. That's not what we are called to do. When our brother confesses, or our sister confesses, and you pray with them, and you let them know that their sins are forgiven, the Bible says that they are taken away from the east, east from the west. So how can you pull them back? The Bible says that it is drawn into a kind of like almost a, a figurative sea of, of uh, forgetfulness. How can you pull it back then? How do we pull that back? We can't. And then there is also a, a job that the Lord has when it comes. He plays, he plays an authoritative role in confession and forgiveness of sins. First John 1 8 through 10. If we, have, we say we have not seen, refusing to admit that we have seen us, we delude ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When we say we are all, we are all saints, we are all holy, we, have, we delude, we are delusion. We delude ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We are liars when we say we have not seen. But he says, if we freely admit or confess that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his nature and his promises. And he will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually, not a one-off thing, continually from all unrighteousness and our wrongdoing, everything not conforming to his will and his purpose. If we say we have not sinned, we refuse to admit the acts of sin, we make him who be him God. We make God out to be a liar by contradicting him and his word. Is not in us. Spurgeon, in talking about this, one of my favorite preachers, he says, Our deceitful hearts reveal an almost satanic shrewdness in self deception. If you say you have not seen, you have achieved a fearful success. You have put out your own eyes and perverted your own reason. We are sinners saved. If we say we have not seen, we have deluded. Not only that, but we make him a liar. Let all men be liars and the Lord be true. That's me. So to say that we have not seen puts us in a very dangerous place. Because God's grace extends to sinners, not to those who are righteous. Not to those who say, I am righteous, I only make mistakes, I'm only human. No one is perfect. But God's grace extends to sinners like me. God's grace extends to me because I'm a sinner saved by grace. When I learn to confess, I'm agreeing with Him that yes, I'm a sinner and I need you and I need your grace. I cannot do it on my own. Remember, we said confession is agreeing with. When I confess, then I'm saying, yes, I need the victory. There is victory that comes 
somebody meeting that I'm a sinner, even a great sinner, and Paul says, but I have a Savior who cleanses me from all sin. I might be a great sinner, but I know and I'm in relationship with the Savior who cleanses from all sin, not covers it, cleanses and takes away all sin. That's an area of praise right there for us. That's an area of power right there for us. Our sins are not forgiven because we confess. We are forgiven because our punishment was put upon Jesus and we are cleansed by his blood. It's not just dependent on our confession. Our confession is very important, it's part of that. But I want you to know that your sins are forgiven, my sins are forgiven because Jesus took the punishment. However, having faith, I want us to go back again to remember Confession is vital for us to maintain that relationship with God. If God convicts us of sin that is hindering our fellowship with Him, we must confess it and receive the forgiveness and the cleansing for our relationship with God to continue without hindrance. Sin becomes like blockages in a pipe. When you've got blockages in a pipe and you're trying to send through water through that pipe, it doesn't come out well. It doesn't come out sometimes. Sometimes you get little drips. Instead of getting the full, the full force of the water coming out, you get drips. And sometimes you get just a little bit. But when you remove that blocking, what happens? Water flows in freely. So the same thing with our relationship with God. When the sin that is unconfessed, it becomes a disease. Why is there dripping? Drip, drip, drip of His work and His of His love, of His Spirit in us, and not just an outpour that we've been looking for. Is there maybe, is there maybe, is there maybe a block that is holding us? This is the time for us to search our hearts personally. Is there maybe a block that is holding us in mind? And in doing that, I remember He is faithful and just. Treat the Lord truthfully, and He will treat you truthfully. Make a pretentious confession before God. Don't make that. If you ever make that, you're in problems. So make no pretentious, uh, make no pretentious before God, but lay bare your soul. Let Him see it as it is. And He will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I want to encourage this broadly today. As the worship team comes forward, I want to close early. I think I almost did what I always promised to do, which is um, I will not hold you long. I think I almost did that today. But as we think about this, I want us to realize that we are called to confession and we see things that are holding us back usually. It is things that we have kept in our heart where we have not walked in that profession. The psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. The psalmist says, When I hid my sin from him, I withered. And I want to ask you, and I want to ask you, are there areas in our lives where we need to open up for the light? Jesus wants to bring light. And I want to invite us, we're going to sing together. 
And as we sing together, I want to invite you in your heart. If there are things that you need to make right, make right before the Lord. And if there are things that you need to make right with your brothers, walk to them and confess. Nobody is going to be watching anymore here. We are all sinners saved by grace. And it is important for us to make things right. The last two, the last few weeks, remember the other week I was up here, the Lord is putting in my heart specifically that there are things that we need to sort out in our hearts amongst each other. And Ryan had asked me a long time ago to preach a confession, and really this just coincided and just went straight with each other and connected that there are things that we need to sort out. Church, here when the Lord speaks, hear and respond when the Lord speaks in your heart. Are there things that the blood needs to wash? We're going to think together and search our hearts.